Thank you guys again for supporting the podcast. In case you guys didn't know, I'm really trying to work on growing my social media presence, either on Instagram and on Twitter. So make sure you guys give me a follow over there of at Jason Hill is both handles. It's also in the show description. It's a quick way to link over. This is the best way to also ask me about questions or topics you would like future podcasts on. Also, if you haven't already, make sure you check out the YouTube channel. It has a lot of these topics just in video format. It's just another medium for you guys to check it out. And so that is a good way to also get some jujitsu help. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Jiu-Jitsu Secrets Podcast. Hopefully everyone's having a good 2023 so far. So I want to jump into it and talk about kind of a big announcement that happened in jiu-jitsu. I think it happened a couple days ago where Gordon Ryan announced that he signed a seven-figure deal to be competing on flow grappling sports. And I know for some of you guys, you're like, well, why is that a big deal? Or, you know, for some of you that are really into the sport of world, you might, you know, you understand how big of a deal it is. But for some of us that are more of a casual fan, I'm going to kind of break down why that's a big deal and kind of the history of how most jiu-jitsu athletes have had to make money and and how the sport has had to go and just the how it kind of intertwines almost into every jiu-jitsu academy because i think learning the history of things is super important and uh puts things into perspective makes you appreciate things more or makes you or maybe gives you insight to avoid a potential future changes so always in the past the way that even if we go back to owning a jiu-jitsu school how students had to even usually become a school was there was only two options one your last name was gracie and so if your last name was gracie because of the ufc that gave you instant credibility to be able to own and operate a school or you could say that you learned from a gracie or you're an affiliate so that was one major way to do that and rightfully so i mean they're a very large uh, figure in the jiu-jitsu community so that kind of made sense but then the next way was for students if after they had had a tournament career so after they had completed tournaments and had accomplished all these accolades or even while they were still competing it was like now they were able to open up a school and the reason why they opened up a school is I, a lot of them genuinely, genuinely wanted to teach and wanted to convey, um, you know, the knowledge of jujitsu and, and, and teach new people and all that stuff. But mainly because it was the only way that, to make a living. You know, they had spent probably a majority of their life and career acquiring a skill of strangling and choking people. Uh, you know, against resistance at a high level of competition. And so what are they going to go do work as a computer programmer or go, you know, be a car salesman? I mean, there's nothing wrong with those jobs. But, you know, when you spent your entire life and your early, you know, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years of your life doing jujitsu, and now you're to this point where you can't compete anymore. It's like, well, I guess I'll open up a school. And that was always kind of the next step. And then you know, once you had a school, if you did really well in competition, uh, you could do seminars and travel around and make a bunch of money and 
you know, if you're a little bit more business savvy in the school, you could, you know, get affiliates and make money that way. So that's, that was the standard jujitsu model for a long time. So basically people looked at tournaments, not only for accolades and legacy and accomplishments and drive, whatever you want to say, like those things are very important and good. But the only reason why most people did them was so that when they got done competing, it was like a retirement plan. I could now go open up a school and, you know, work another 40 hours a week and, you know, teach jujitsu, which once again, there's nothing wrong with that. I teach jujitsu. That's my full-time job. So I'm not trying to say that that's bad to do. I'm just saying it just was like, that was the thing is basically, you know, most people, when they think of retirement, they actually go into retirement and kept back on work and that's not really what happens with most jiu-jitsu things so now going to where gordon ryan has done is that he has signed a seven-figure deal to just do jiu-jitsu so and he says this in the post so if you guys want to go read the post you can see that but basically he reiterates all the points that i said he doesn't have to open up a school he doesn't have to teach a bunch of private lessons He doesn't have to travel around and do seminars all the time. Um, He can 100% be a full-time athlete and make seven figures by competing in jiu-jitsu. So that is a huge deal for the sport. So what does that mean for the sport and what does that mean for the standard jiu-jitsu path of owning a school or owning a business, right? So I'm going to give kind of two avenues of that. Well, Really what Gordon Ryan just did is if you have any aspirations to be like an athlete, um, not just a recreational athlete, because, you know, we got to think about it like us guys that are, you know, competing just in a local tournament every two or three times a month or two or three times a year. You know, it's kind of like playing intramurals basketball, you know, but the guys that are having desires to go to ADCC, you know, if that's your true desire, what does that mean for you? Well, he basically has set the stage now that you can get paid to be a jiu-jitsu athlete. Now, he is like the LeBron James or the Michael Jordan of jiu-jitsu in the sense of how much money he's making. So, you know, you may not make as much as him, but he's setting the precedent to where if you work hard enough at the actual sport of jiu-jitsu, there's a financial tie or compensation to it. And I know some people will say, well, couldn't you do instructionals or couldn't you do online things? You, a lot of time you can definitely, you know, I have my own online stuff, but mine is based upon me being, you know, a personality people vibe with the way that I teach, not because of all the stuff I have accomplished in my sport of career. You know, you have two ways to promote online based instructional based Gordon Ryan doesn't really do any marketing beside, um, posting online. His form of marketing is how well he does in competition. So you see him do well in competition. So now people are like, oh, that looks like, you know, that guy would know what he's doing. I want to go learn his techniques. And so they go and buy his instructional. It's a great way of marketing because, you know, the proof is in the pudding type idea. But then, you know, maybe some people, you know, don't follow the sport or, you know, buy one Gordon Ryan instructional. They don't like the way he teaches or they just can't do his techniques. So then they go find and seek other people. That's why there needs to be multiple instructors and multiple things because everyone has a different way of, of viewing different techniques. Anyway, side point. So that, you know, he can, he doesn't have to do that stuff. He doesn't have to do instructionals. 
he can just only compete with jujitsu. Could you guys imagine if like LeBron James had to play like as much basketball as he did? And then also he had to teach like, you know, hours of basketball tutorials and spend like going around, flying around the world and the country, you know, teaching basketball camps. Like that sounds crazy, but that's what you have to do in jujitsu if you want to make any kind of substantial money. If you're a struggling jujitsu student that is really looking for some more help and guidance and trying to figure out what you should be training and the next steps in your jujitsu journey, I have an online program called the Jujitsu Blueprint for Lifelong Development. Because ultimately, jiu-jitsu is a lifelong process, especially if you're wanting to get all the benefits out of it. So learning how to structure your training to set yourself up for lifelong is what I do. So if that's something you have interest in or want more information on, make sure you hit me up at jasonhill.com. And I do an interview to make sure that you're a good fit, make sure the program would actually benefit you. So that way your time's not wasted and neither is mine. Thank you guys again for supporting the podcast and we'll get on to the episode. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, everyone's perception of how much they need in life is much different to each other. Um, just from looking at Gordon's post, uh, I, I, this is just an assumption. I don't know him personally. I've met him at seminars and, and gone to dinner, but I mean, I haven't, I don't know his intentions. I don't know his like deeper, darker thing, but you know, he seems to enjoy the finer things in life, which is totally fine. You know, I like the finer things in life at sometimes too. So if you're wanting to live like that style of life, um, you know, it would be very hard to do it by doing all of those things because there's only so much ways that you can split yourself. So him being able to only focus on jujitsu and be able to make a substantial amount of money to live a, you know, not a poverty life is, you know, the first time in the history of jujitsu, you could do that. Um, normally the path that jujitsu athletes took was going to MMA. So you would go to MMA after you had accomplished whatever in jujitsu, and then you could continue a combat sport and make money as a sport of athlete that way. So that was usually the path that it took there. So if you're an aspiring jujitsu athlete, you know, 10 years from now, you know, there might be a, a minimum, there might be a league or a standard that once you're a black belt, you know, if you're competing in these tournaments at, at these events and this thing and that thing, then, you know, you might be able to make a base salary of a hundred thousand a year. Right. And yeah, that's not necessarily like, that's not world ending money, but for a jujitsu athlete, if they made a hundred thousand dollars a year, just training jujitsu, that would be amazing. That's all that they had to do was that man, that would change so many people's lives. That would change the way that people could put the time into training. You know, there's a lot of people that don't make a hundred thousand dollars a year doing their job now. So I don't know. I was just throwing that out there. I don't know if that's a substantial amount of money or not. I mean, I never thought someone would sign a seven figure deal to do jujitsu because jujitsu is a, you know, a spectator sport, meaning that most people who watch jujitsu train jujitsu. You know, a lot of people who watch the NBA, NFL, all of those other sports, they may have played it like a little league or, you know, whatever they may play intramurals, but they're not nearly near those people. They're not continuously playing football. You know, there's a 80,000 seat stadium full of people watching guys play football that, you know, most of them have never even played the sport, which is crazy, right? Jiu-jitsu is not like that. Jiu-jitsu is 99% of the time, <laughs> there's people who are watching at a jiu-jitsu event, at a jiu-jitsu tournament, 
is going to be people who participated in jiu-jitsu or it's going to be family members of people who are competing. It's not going to just be an average person who woke up on a Saturday that was like, man, I'm going to go check out this local jujitsu tournament. Or I'm going to go check out this whatever jujitsu thing, you know, not normally, not saying it's not happening, but it's just not in the common cards. So this other point about opening up a school. Now he definitely could open up a school. He could definitely do that. He'll probably go the route. If I had to guess, if he does do a school, he'll probably use it as an investment property where he will, you know, buy the building, get the school all set up, use his financial, and then he'll probably have instructors that he works with that teach underneath of him and run it like a standard jiu-jitsu association or franchise model, whatever you want to kind of call that, right? And uh, that's, a, that's definitely a great model too. But, you know, now this means that if you're an athlete, though, you don't have to open up a school because if you're a jiu-jitsu athlete, I've, I've been very... Um, disillusioned and disappointed sometimes in my jiu-jitsu journey over 14 years that I've got to meet a lot of good jiu-jitsu athletes who I thought would be great instructors and that's not always the case um I do think Gordon is a good instructor um you know I do think he he can articulate himself well sometimes he's a little dry uh but I mean who am I to criticize that uh, Danaher's a little dry too. Um, I think Danaher has a little bit more humor, but you know, I, I have both of their instructionals and I've seen them both teach in person and they teach similar. They use the same vernacular, but they, the way that they convey the information is different. Um, so, you know, that, you know, and he's only going to get better at that, but, uh, just for, as a teacher, you know, he's, he's, he's a good one. I would say he's good. He's not necessarily bad when I've, you know, done seminars with some really well-known jiu-jitsu athletes and their instruction was terrible. It was not good. It was not clearly conveyed because they don't really care about teaching. They really want to compete. They might even be at the end of their career. Now they're like kind of disillusioned with the world. They're like, ah, I don't really want to be here. I don't want to be doing this right now. I don't want to be right. So that now if they could just make money, doing that, they wouldn't have to go on a giant seminar tour and, you know, people don't have to waste their money doing that, or they can just do, you know, prom pictures if they do it and whatever. So I actually think what it will do, believe it or not, is it's going to open up more opportunities for really good instructors. I think it's going to be a way to separate the market. I think so many times jujitsu students, um, you know, I'm not, I don't know. I don't know what schools you guys train out of, but still to this day, you know, people walk into a jujitsu school and the way that people get convinced to sign up at the school is because they do Googling online or they see uh, this instructor when they walk in that they have all these accolades hanging on the door and they see all these world champion banners and they're like, man, this place must be super great. Man, look at all this stuff this person's accomplished and it's kind of motivating and inspiring. But then you realize like there's no organization. There's no anything like that. There's no uh, plan for anybody. There's no um, whatever. So, you know, just because they competed a lot and they had success competing, that does not mean whatsoever that they are able to convey that information to everybody effectively and efficiently and vibe with everybody. So I think it's going to create a little uh, side pocket now that people who are really good at teaching 
and people who are really good at instruction and who are kind of more business savvy, it, they're going to be able to run academies now because now the athlete doesn't have to go into that market and dominate that space or, or compete so hard if they could just make money. Now, some of them might want to do that and I'm not saying they shouldn't. I'm just saying that I think it now is going to prevent maybe um, some people who don't really want to teach jujitsu now that they don't have to or if they decide that they want to after they're done teaching because they have the financial uh, means, you know, they're not stressed about it and that actually might make them a better teacher or or whatever or ease up and, and convey the information to people better. I don't know. That's just kind of my thought. So I don't, I, I think, you know, some people will be like, well, you know, I want to, how am I ever going to open up a school if I'm not, you know, this level of an athlete or this level of this person and I'm, I don't think it really matters. I think there's so much need for jujitsu. You don't have to be a world-class athlete. So anyway, that's just some thoughts that I had in my head about the whole Gordon Ryan situation. So congratulations to him. Like I said, I do think it's moves the sport forward quite a bit. I do think that it is good for the sport. It'll be interesting to see what happens with the other people. So who knows, I might do a podcast another year or two from now with an update and see how it goes. So interesting, you know, you guys hit me up on social media. Let me know your thoughts. Just be curious to hear. Anyway, I'll talk to you guys later. See ya. If you guys are really enjoying this podcast, I'd greatly appreciate it if you left me some reviews, maybe some five stars, whether you're listening to this on Audible, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Make sure you guys leave this five stars, leave some nice words. Also share it with a friend. You know, I don't charge anything for these podcasts and my goal is just to grow it and help the jiu-jitsu community. So thank you guys for supporting and I'll see you guys later.